0: Find Hosea 5. Hosea 5. By the way, I see a guest with us tonight. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, I'm right here. Okay. Uh,
1: I'm Tyler Witt. Um, I go to Red Truck Men with one of the members here. I can't remember his name. I only see him once a month, so
0: okay, hard to recognize. Uh, Scott Dry in our church is part of the part yeah, Red sure, Truck sure, Ministry. That's probably his name then. Okay, fantastic. I've got a number saved but. Okay, well, good to have you tonight. Yeah, I appreciate it. Give me your name again. Tyler. Tyler, okay. Well, y'all welcome Tyler. After after the study tonight, you get ready to leave, go up and speak to Tyler. Any other guests in here tonight? don't think so. Okay. Hosea 5, as we continue our journey through the book of Hosea. And tonight, we continue looking at what we began in chapter 4. Uh, God has his people on trial. And we see tonight the trial continues. Um, He says, Hear this, priest. Pay attention, house of Israel. Listen, royal house. For the judgment applies to you. Because you have been a, a snare at Mizpah. And a net spread out on Tabor. Rebels are deeply involved in slaughter. I will be a punishment for all of them. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, Ephraim, you have acted promiscuously. Israel is defiled. Their affections do not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of promiscuity is among them, and they do not know the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. Both Israel and Ephraim stumble because of their iniquity. Even Judah will stumble with them. They go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but do not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They betrayed the Lord. Indeed, they gave birth to illegitimate children. Now the new moon will devour them along with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Raise the war cry in beth Aven. Look behind you, Benjamin. Ephraim will become a desolation on the day of punishment. I announce what is certain among the tribes of Israel. The princes of Judah are like those who move boundary markers. I will pour out my fury on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, for he is determined to follow what is worthless. So I am like rot, To Ephraim, and like decay to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, Ephraim went to Assyria and sent a delegation to the great king. But he cannot cure you or heal your wound. For I am like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I will tear them to pieces and depart, I will carry them off, and no one can rescue them. I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt and sink my face. They will search for me in their distress. Now, again, I mentioned to you last time that uh, this is a a section involving God presenting his case against his people in a trial-type setting. Uh, Have you ever been a witness in a case, in a trial? Anybody in here? No? Cordero. Good experience? Pretty much. Okay. They thought they thought I was an expert
1: witness and
0: soon learned otherwise? Is that right? No. Okay. <laughs> I got to testify documents, you know, this is a piece of paper. Okay. You know, real technical okay. I remember at my former church pulling up one day and uh A lady in our church, who was a layman, had gone into the church office to buy a ticket for a ladies' night event. She left her purse in the car, and uh, when I was pulling in, uh, she was chasing after another car, and they cut through the parking lot, cut through the grass, about hit me as I was pulling in, and she's chasing them down, and I stopped and said, Sarah, what's going on? She said, they just bashed my window in and stole my purse. Well, dummy me, I take off after them. (laughs) And uh, on the boulevard, Garrison Boulevard there in Gastonia, I saw that they had dumped her purse out uh, in front of the middle school that was across from the church. I stopped, took time to gather up all her stuff, and then took off down the boulevard, following them, and and I knew they were probably long gone by then, but they had a a real distinctive car that General Motors made at the time, so I knew there wouldn't be many like it on the road. I just said, Lord, please direct me to where they, where they are. And got down near Lineberger Park and just happened to look left. And then, there they were. They had pulled up into a car bay, a place that worked on cars. And I knew instantly it was the car. And so I went to a convenience store two doors up called the cops. And bicycle cops were in Limeburger Park right across the road, so they were there almost immediately. I got there and, and called uh, Sarah, and she came down. And and uh, the workers there, uh, when I first pulled up, they stood across the bay to block the tag of the car. Um, but anyway, when she got there and the cops got there, and they asked me if I recognized the driver of the car, and I said, yeah, that's him sitting in the waiting room, waiting room right there. And she said, well, that's not who stole my purse. And they called everybody out. And he looked at the manager and says, nobody else here? And there was a guy down in the bay. And they said, get him up here. And he got up on ground level. And she said, that's him. So they arrested him, went to court. Of course, I had to be a witness. And when they put those guys on the stand, and the assistant DA told me everything that they were guilty of. The driver, he and his brother were some of the biggest offenders in all of Gaston County. They had like 238 arrests against them. How do you even have that many arrests? And then the guy that stole her purse, when he got on the stand and the assistant DA brought out some of his crimes, I mean, I thought, what have I done here? Because he would, he'd been arrested on things like uh, assault with a deadly weapon, Assault on females, I think rape, also uh, armed robbery, and things like that. I'm thinking, what have I done? (laughs) But anyway, uh, when when I was on the stand and they said, how would you find him?" I said, well, I'm just going down the road. And I said, Lord, show, just show me to him." The, their defense attorney said, I object. <laughs> I said, well, that's what I did. And, and then Sarah got on the stand and they were trying to question whether or not she had picked out the right guy or not that was coming out of her car. And he was like, how do you know that's him? And she said, well, I'm glad you asked that. I know it was him. Because when he came out of my window and, and I yelled at him and he, sh- he stood up and looked straight at me, I thought, that guy looks just like my little brother. <laughs> 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 at that point, the defense attorney, I mean he knew, uh, you know she such a strong identification. Uh, he called for a recess, and then we were told after the recess trial was over that they had reached a, a plea agreement. But uh, anyway, <laughs> it can be interesting to, to to go to a trial, especially if you're a witness. I told Connie, I said, you better you better be careful if people start showing up to the house, uh, sketchy <laughs> characters. I mean, I'm serious. These guys were bad news. But, uh, well... Here we have God as he's the witness, he's the prosecutor, he's the judge, he's the jury. And there is no way that the people have a defense for what they've done. Uh, Now currently he's acting, God is acting as the prosecutor and he's laying out a very extensive case against his people. And the first thing I want you to notice with me tonight is condemnation against leaders. Condemnation against leaders. Hear this, priest. Pay attention, house of Israel. Listen, royal house. For the judgment applies to you because you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread out on Tabor. God's judgment against his people begins with the leaders, both the spiritual leaders and the national leaders. Folks, leadership involves responsibility. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, sometimes people desire to be leaders, but they need to realize the responsibility that comes with it. You know, a problem today, our standards have become so low that sometimes people don't realize how low we're making standards today. And so here God is addressing both priests and members of the royal household, or the government officials, that is. Now, what's the scripture say in these cases? Take the book of James, for instance. James chapter 3. What does James say about spiritual leaders, teachers in particular? Don't rush into it. Don't don't uh, crave at those positions, knowing that you're going to receive the stricter judgment. Right? What's Romans 13 say about national leaders? Obey them. Obey them? Your They're God given. He's allowed them there. He's allowed them there. He's put them in their positions. Uh, they're supposed to be in their positions for the protection of the people and the nation and to punish wrongdoers mm-hmm. is what they're there for. And to bring order out of what otherwise would be chaos. chaos. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, what do we see here in Hosea 5? Uh, what we see is woe to a nation when the religious leaders and the national leaders alike have become rebels. What have the priests done? They've not taught the law of God. And the national leaders have led the nation to trust in man-made alliances. And we'll see that later on. Both are guilty of leading the nation into judgment and eventual destruction. They've been together, he says, like a net spread out in order to catch prey. Now, I want you to imagine that. Instead of Israel and Judah's spiritual and government leaders being a blessing to the population, they've instead been like hunters setting nets out to catch prey. Now, why do hunters catch prey? To kill it, right? To have prey that they can kill And so the leaders here are doing things that will end up hurting, destroying, and even killing the nation. And so the situation is that the very people who should be a blessing and a help are becoming a curse to the nation, and they're putting the nation under a curse. They're putting the nation in real danger. Folks, it really does matter who our leaders are. Don't ever forget that. And you know, as I've told you before, sometimes God doesn't give us who we need. He gives us who we deserve. You know, I look at our national leaders in Washington, and I'm literally stunned that some of these people are our leaders. Instead of electing the cream of the crop, I mean, we're dredging the bottom of the barrel. And I honestly don't see how America can continue for very long with the type of leadership that we have and then I listen to a lot of preachers online I listen to what they're preaching or I should say not preaching oftentimes. and again I'm stunned to listen to preacher after preacher who's doing feel good stuff and entertaining and not preaching the word it's no wonder uh, people are so biblically illiterate But what do we do? On all fronts, we keep lowering and lowering and lowering standards. But one thing we can't avoid, and that's God's judgment one day. And God is telling them here, he's about to judge both Israel and Judah. Now, you know, I know what some people might think. Why even look at a book like Hosea that contains so much bad news? why are we going through a book such bad bad news well we need to see what's being said we need to see that sin cost and because God is the same yesterday today and forever if God's people in the Old Testament thought they could get away with sin and, and we see that they didn't then who do we think we are we're not going to get away with sin either Yes, we would be grateful for God's grace, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we're addressing sin in our lives. Well, the second thing I want you to see, God knows all about them. God's omniscience. God knows all about them. God's omniscience. In verse 3, he says, I know Ephraim. Remember, that was a major tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel. Sometimes Israel would be called Ephraim. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, Ephraim, you have acted promiscuously. Israel is defiled. God knows all about it. Now, this should be a great comfort to us, but sometimes I suppose it can be threatening too, can't it? There's nothing that God doesn't know about you and your life. There's nothing in your life that is hidden from God what's the old saying you can fool some of the people some of the time but you can't fool all of the people all of the time well we could add to that you can't fool God any of the time God is omniscient he knows everything he sees everything he knows everything You know, sometimes people think when they're going through hardship, God, you don't see how difficult I'm having it right now. You don't see the trial I'm in. You don't see what I'm facing. Yes, he does. He sees. You know, at other times, people think they can do bad things and God doesn't see. (laughs) Yes, he does. The omniscience of God can either be a blessing to you or a curse to you. Hopefully, it's a blessing to you. Uh, Knowing that he sees everything about your life, he knows everything about your life, and he cares. Well, a third thing I want you to see. When sin blinds, when sin blinds, verse 4 he starts, their actions do not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of promiscuity is among them, and they do not know the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. Both Israel and Ephraim stumble because of their iniquity. Even Judah will stumble with him. They go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but do not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They betrayed the Lord. Indeed, they gave birth to illegitimate children. Now the new moon will devour them along with their fields. Now, Imagine being so hardened in sin that you won't return to God. That's what's being communicated here in verse 4. And you know, some people are like that. Some people are like that hardened path in the parable that Jesus told about souls. Remember that? The hardened path? It's not that those people Jesus is describing, it's not that they don't hear God's word Jesus says they're just so hardened to it, immediately when it's sown on the hard path, the enemy, Satan, comes and snatches away what they hear. And they won't return to God because their sin has them in such bondage. The picture here is bondage to sin when people have gone their own way to such an extent that they simply won't return to God. They become that enslaved to sin. And I think this shows a real danger in not being sensitive to the Lord and, and to His Word. You know, it's like somebody reaches a point of no return. It's not that they couldn't be saved, but in all likelihood, they just won't be. Aside from God doing something amazing in their life, and we know that He certainly could. But aside from that, here's somebody who is so hardened to God, they just don't care anymore about spiritual things. And I want to say to you, that is a dangerous place to be. Remember what John the Baptist said to the religious leaders who came out to the wilderness and was watching him baptize people. Remember what he told them? He said, Who warned you, you vipers? Go and produce the fruit of repentance. You know, uh, John the Baptist, I guess he missed out on Dale Carnegie's book, How to Influence Friends and Influence People, right? (laughs) He missed that. Who warned you, you vipers? (laughs) What was John saying? What was John trying to communicate to him? In order to return to the Lord, what do you you have to do? You've got to repent. People living in sin can't just simply be sorry for their sin but unwilling to turn from it. That's not true repentance at all. Repentance is necessary if wayward people truly want to come back to God.
1: This spirit of That mm-hmm.
0: that is speaking of here, mm-hmm. the
1: spirit, are we talking about some kind of divine spirit here?
0: Or? Just the way they have become... Uh, with Baalism and the temple prostitution that was involved in Baalism. And the men and women both are going to the temple and being involved in this temple prostitution thinking that that's going to bring Baal's blessings on the land, bring fertility to the earth. The people have become like Gomer, Hosea's wife. I
1: know that later on he mentioned something about the dualism. Threshing floor, yeah. Where they,
0: would normally where they would normally gather the crops in and the threshing and separate the chaff from the grain right. and the prostitution that would go on on the threshing floor. And what they were doing is, in a sick way, in Baalism, giving gratitude to Baal yeah. for the grain that they just gathered in. Yeah. Yeah. So a spirit of prostitution is it. Is it demonic what they're doing? Sure, sure.
1: Right.
0: Not aware of that, but at the same time, I certainly wouldn't doubt that there's there's a demonic power behind it. Now, verse five, God says that they are arrogant and stumbling around, and yet at the same time, they're unwilling. Now, how sad. Here are people that are stumbling, they are unsteady, but they are unwilling to address what needs to be addressed. Imagine somebody being so calloused that physically they're stumbling around and somebody says, if you would do such and such, you can be steady on your feet again. And they say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well that's how Israel and Judah has have become spiritually speaking. It's
1: almost like uh, of when they were
0: going to have for the angels. Yeah. London, oh yeah. And they still still were determined to do what they wanted to do. Yep. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder how people can become like this, but they do. And when sin has blinded you to this point, you'll notice also the futility of worship when repentance is absent. He points out here how they go and make sacrifice and they go through the motions of worship, but God is nowhere to be found. Again, do you think people are like that today? Sure. Uh, They know they're not following the Lord, some people. They know they're doing things they shouldn't do. They're not willing to turn away from those things. And yet they think, you know what, I'll, I'll go to church this weekend and everything will be okay. And that's what they were thinking in Jeremiah 7, the temple sermon. Remember that? God told Jeremiah to go and stand at the gate of the temple and preach a sermon. And say, you know, you're saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we are justified to do all of these things, the temple of the Lord. He said, you're doing all these things, going to the temple and saying, hey, we're in God's house, we're worshiping him, we're delivered.'" And He said, you're treating the temple like a den of robbers, where robbers go to a place of rest between jobs that they pull off. That's what you made the temple. You got all this disobedience in your life, you run to the temple, take a little break, but you can't wait to get back out and do what you've been doing. You're trusting in deceptive words, Jeremiah told him. Same thing that God is telling the people here. Now I know I've, I've told you how, I've told you in the past how years, years ago, I mean, well that's a long time ago, in high school and first part of college, I worked at Harris Teeter in the Cotswold area in Charlotte. Harris Teeter, <laughs> if you're familiar with Charlotte, it's at Randolph Road and Sharon Amity. Uh, I've worked at that Harris Teeter for years. When that was that was actually the number one producing store in the entire Harris Teeter chain. I doubt it is anymore. Uh, busy, busy store. And uh, in the back room, uh, dealing with some of the guys that were on the stock crew. Generally, the stock crew there anyway would come in at nine. We didn't do things like you go into a store now and there's pallets in the aisle and people can't even get around them and stock people are restocking the shelves. Well, back then, stock crew only did that at night, third shift when the store was closed. A couple of guys on the stock crew, I mean, they were, they were rough by anybody's standards. I kid you not. And one day, two of them are having a discussion. There's an older guy boy he really was rough and then the younger guy and the older guy called me over you, you gotta talk to him he's not right and the, what the younger guy was saying um, he was going out and doing all kinds of stuff and he said you know it doesn't matter what I do I'll go to, I'll go to my church this weekend to confession and the priest will absolve me of all my sins and I'll just go back out next week and do all this stuff again. I'll just, I'll just keep going and getting it's off of all my sins. And that old guy, I mean, he was, he was a pagan. But here was a pagan telling another pagan, that ain't right. He called me a Scott, You got to tell me. That's, that's, not, that's some messed up theology this guy has. <laughs> and I was like, yep, yep. <laughs> but that's kind of how the people here were. Jesus said that God desires those who worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Now in verse 7 here we see that their cult prostitution means that they have produced illegitimate children just as Gomer did. Uh, Because again they were just involved in cult prostitution. Um, Also, they celebrate festivals, but because of their Baal worship, instead of blessing the land, God would curse the land and devour it. Baal couldn't bless the land because he's no God after all. But God is saying, I'm the true God and I'm going to end up cursing. You're wanting Baal to bless the land, but because of what all you're doing, I'm telling you, I'm the true Lord God saying, I'm going to curse your land. And I'm going to devour it. God's trying to wake them up. Uh, they're in trouble. They're in deep trouble. And they don't even see it. They're even thinking that because they were God's chosen, they could go to war and be okay. In verses 8 and 9, blow the horn and give him. The trumpet in Ramah. Raise the war cry in Beth-Avon. Beth-El was the house of God, but they turned it into Beth-Avon, house of wickedness. So raise the war cry in Beth-Avon. Look behind you, Benjamin. Ephraim will become a desolation on the day of punishment. I announce what is certain among the tribes of Israel. So they're thinking they can go to war and they're going to be okay. Oh, they're going to go to war okay against Assyria, But Israel is going to be laid to waste. There's a day of reckoning coming, God's telling them. And again, they don't see that it's too late for Israel, the northern kingdom. Because indeed, they're going to be destroyed. The ten northern tribes are going to be destroyed by Assyria in 722 B.C. And just because they were God's covenant people wasn't going to keep them safe. Now through this whole section they were guilty of this presumption that because of who they were they could do whatever. And what they failed to see was that being God's chosen brought responsibility. Uh, They had their end of the covenant that they were supposed to maintain as well. And they weren't. They were ignoring their responsibilities in the covenant relationship. In verse 10, he starts talking about when boundaries get moved. The princes of Judah are like those who move boundary markers. I will pour out my fury on them like water. People think they can move boundaries. Now, it was a serious thing back then to move your border stones. It was theft. You can go back to the law, first five books of the Bible, to, to see this. You weren't to move the property boundaries at night, for example, so that you could end up taking more and more of your neighbor's land. You know, somebody might go out at night and move the boundary marker a foot over. Uh, a month later, they go and move it another foot over. A month later, they go and move it two or three feet over. and You know, a year goes by moving the boundary stones like this. Maybe you've taken an acre of the land that belonged to your neighbor. It's theft. And remember how serious that was because each person got an inheritance of the land. You were taking their inheritance. You were taking their land. It, it was It was serious. Uh, And the law warned against moving the boundary markers. Well, leaders here are pictured as those thinking that they can move boundaries. Boundaries in society. But it's vanity. You know, society today thinks it can move boundaries God has set. It can't. For example, we think we can rewrite uh, gender and marriage issues, but we can't. And you know what? God's wrath is going to end up being poured out one day. And he says here that when his, wrath is going to, when his wrath is eventually poured out, it's so bad, it's like a flood. That's the analogy he's given here when God finally pours out his wrath. What does a flood do? Destroys everything in its path. And he's saying because of what they're trying to do with the boundaries of the nation... They're going to suffer God's wrath, and it's going to be like a flood. It's going to be absolutely overwhelming. Folks, we don't know better than God. God's the one who sets boundaries. We don't. You know, it astounds me today that ignorance people show. People think they can change who they are biologically. You know, I don't, I don't mean to be crude, but having anatomy altered and pills taken does not change who you are. We are encouraging and even, even rewarding playing out lies today. It's sad. It's sad. I mean, we got to the point that we got a Supreme Court justice who was asked, what is a woman and she couldn't answer And this is somebody who's supposed to be interpreting laws in the land for the rest of us. What in the world has happened? But look at the outcome for Israel and Judah. Verses 12 and following. So I am like rot to Ephraim, like decay to the house of Judah. Uh, Some translations say moth, moth, moths, and, and rot. Moths, moths. But I'm tongue-tangled tonight. Moths and rot. What's that a picture of? Fast decay or slow decay? Slow decay. Rot. Things like mildew, rot, moths getting into a closet. That's that's slow. God's judgment and discipline has been slow but it's been sure. God could pull a Sodom and Gomorrah type destruction on people and nations. Boom. God could do that. But by and large, in his patience, he doesn't. But what he often does is bring judgment and destruction slowly. Again, because he's patient, he's long-suffering, but folks, make no mistake about it. The judgment is still there. It might be happening what seems to be slow and almost invisibly, but it's happening. God's judgment is happening. And they had time. They should have been turning to God, but what are they doing instead? Sensing their need, they are turning instead to alliances with other nations instead of to God. For example, one thing that Judah did, remember when the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III, first started flexing his muscles, the kings of Syria and Israel wanted to form an alliance together, thinking those two nations could maybe stand a chance in standing against Assyria. And they wanted Judah to join in their alliance. So it would be Syria, Israel, and Judah. And, And they went to Ahaz hoping he would join the alliance. And Isaiah told him, don't you do it. Don't you join in that alliance. You trust in God and you wait on God. What did Ahaz end up doing? He calls up pig life pleaser of all people. says, hey, the king of Syria and Israel want me to join with them in an alliance against you. Would you come and help me? He was coming all right, but he was going to come and destroy them all. But these these were the things they were trying to do, pick their alliances. Oftentimes they would run down to Egypt instead of trusting in God. But God is telling them here that when they start trusting in man and other nations instead of trusting in him, those things are not going to succeed. Those things aren't going to ultimately end up doing them any good. And then God says, uh, what he's going to suddenly do, remember his judgment has been slow like rock. He's been patient. But what's he going to do Suddenly? Finally, he's going to pounce on them like a lion pouncing on its prey. They're at the end of chapter 5. And he's going to carry off Israel and Judah as well later on. And there's going to be nobody that can stop what he's going to do. Like I say, he's going to pounce on them like a lion jumping on its prey. And then God says as the chapter closes that he's going to return to his den and And he's going to wait and see after he's done these things if his people will finally wake up. Well, let's get into chapter 6. False piety. False piety. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days and on the third day He will raise us up so we can live in His presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Verse 4. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist. And like the early dew that vanishes, folks. Chapter six seems to present hope as the chapter opens, but apparently it's a, a it's a false hope. They're saying all the right words as the chapter opens, but they're insincere. Now, that's how I interpret these verses. Some of the commentators make it sound like the opening verses are the people finally getting it right. But I kept looking at this, and I was thinking, no, I don't believe that's what's going on, because verse 4 would seem out of place if the people in verses 1 to 3 were genuine, If 1 through 3, they were genuine, then why would God be saying what he's saying in verse 4? And so last night, I grabbed one of the more academic commentaries I have on Hosea, and he agrees that sincerity is maybe not at all what verses 1 to 3 are all about verses 1 through 3 and what this commentator was saying to be that God's people have been fickle their repentance superficial their words here are empty, their words seem right, they kind of have the right ring about them but they're empty words without action and so God says in verse 4 their repentance is like the morning dew that is soon burned off and gone Lip service. false word. False piety. False piety. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so here are all these words, verses 1 through 3, that sound good, and then God's saying in verse 4. You know what? It's like the morning mist. But again, there's grace. Folks, look at verse 5. This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I have killed them with the words... From my mouth, my judgment strikes like lightning. There's grace in verse 5. You say, how so? Because despite what they're doing, God has not left them without His Word. He has sent His prophets to them, warning them. Nobody could claim that they didn't know. Yes, they do know. Because God sent His prophets to them. And then in verse 6, it points out that God's after knowledge of himself, not just religious sacrifice. He says, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Here again, they were thinking religious sacrifice could substitute for doing right. And it can't. When worship is true, it has to result in true godly conduct as well. Now, in the remaining verses in the chapter, I know we're, we're running short on time, the re- remaining verses in the chapter, the Lord points out that the covenant is broken. The people have broken their part of the covenant and because of this, life is not respected there's violence. And even the priests scheme to get their own desires met even to the detriment of the people. Showing what? When there's violence, no respect for life, and even spiritual leadership being so corrupt. Shows that when we're not right with God, we lose all respect for our fellow man. And so he, he ends the chapter by talking about a harvest that's appointed for you, Judah. A harvest is coming, but it's not going to be a harvest anybody wants. It's not a harvest of God's provision for His people, but instead it's a harvest of judgment and destruction that's coming. And that's how the chapter ends. Now, some, some lessons. Number one... Leaders are given by God to be a blessing to the people. Leaders are given, given by God to be a blessing to the people. Secondly, leaders will face accountability if they do not lead the people to know God and to obey his ways. Leaders will face accountability if they do not lead the people to know God and to obey his ways. Thirdly, Nothing is hidden from God's knowledge. Fourth, people can become trapped in sin when they become insensitive to God in their lives. People can become trapped in sin when they become insensitive to God in their lives. Fifth, true religion is to affect conduct. Religious service cannot substitute for godly living. Lastly, only God can truly deliver. Man-made deals and schemes cannot save us from God's discipline and wrath. Any questions or comments? The first one? Condemnation against the very first. The very beginning. Condemnation against leaders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. A couple of hard-hitting chapters here. isn't
1: Richard? Yeah, it almost seems like there's a correlation
0: that's happening in our country today. Yeah, it really does. Such parallels.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking of uh, where it all started, like Darwinism, we came from animals no accountability. and when I was eight years old, um, the teacher said, uh, oh, we learned something new. Oh, one nation under God, 1954.
0: Couple of generations now that have been raised on this, why are people acting the way they're acting? Because the foundations have been destroyed. Standards. Mm-hmm. Low standards. Low standards. Yeah. There was some repentance after the uh, Twin Powers fell. Yeah, for about two weeks. <laughs> Churches were packed for like two weeks after 9 yep. 11.
1: Just a man. Yep. Know, just a man. Yep. We don't have God Yeah. It, 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 it's not yep. it, to happen. other seven fourteen Yeah. things like that, you know, out there for people to see. And, you know, um, talk about all these things that got in place that are going to bring this utopia. Yeah. And uh, what happens if a rapture happens you know, Right before they think all this great stuff's going to stuff happen, all these good people are going to do all this stuff. Well everyone's a force. Yeah. So I mean it just lines up perfectly because mm-hmm. the systems are in place before kind of establishes one world government and stuff right now. I mean,
0: we we have our own ways today of running down to Egypt for help. Not Egypt literally, you know right. what I'm saying. Yeah. Things we trust in other than God. You know, and as the scripture says, over and over and over again, every single time, you'll end up disappointed. Every time. Mm-hmm. The things we trust in other than God will disappoint us. Yeah. Paul says he keeps his eye on the cross, but with everything
1: else is careful. Yeah.